Welcome to Life Center North. Glad that you're here, and happy Father's Day. Any fathers out there? Yes? Fantastic. Good. Dads, we're always willing to clap for ourselves. We're convinced that we're doing it great, and so that's not a problem at all. Hey, we're continuing in our series of uh, the book of John, the gospel of John, the good news uh, of Jesus Christ as told to us by his disciple, John. And we're in the ninth chapter. Uh, And this morning, we're going to walk through that, and we're going to hear the story uh, of, a, of a man who was healed from being blind. And I know that's kind of like a spoiler, and now you know the end of the story. The guy's going to get healed, and so I hope that doesn't ruin your interest. But there's more going on in this particular story than just a blind man being healed. That's part of it. But that, but that physical healing actually serves as, a, as the image or the picture, the symbol of something way more important that takes place in this man's life. It's the symbol of him moving his whole life out of darkness and into light. It's the story of his journey from knowing nothing about Jesus to coming to the place where he actually worships Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about, his journey and the various stages that this guy goes through uh, until he comes to the point where he actually worships Jesus uh, as God. And there are a lot of us here this morning, many of us, maybe most of us, who maybe feel like, well, you know, that's a point I've already come to. I've made that decision to worship Jesus and to follow him with my life. And and I need to to make sure that I'm growing in all the ways that grow out of that decision. And and what's the importance of a group of believers who come together talking about the process of someone who's just coming to that point of belief? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things. And one is this. No matter how far along the way that you may be in your journey of following Jesus, it is always helpful to look back and to review, and to remember what it is that God has done in your life, and the steps that it took for you to come to faith in the first place. There's nothing wrong with going back and taking a look and thanking God for the way he brought you to him. But beyond that, there's something that makes a passage like this incredibly relevant for people who have already been following Jesus for quite a while, and it's this. I tell you, nothing will make a passage like this more relevant then if you're in the business of taking those people in your life, those relationships that God has granted you with people who do not yet know Jesus, who are not yet following him, and if you're in their life sharing God's love with them, if you're inviting them to church, if you're inviting them to be here, if you have a, a real heart's desire for them to grow into a faith with Christ, then a passage like this will come alive. It will open up our minds and our hearts. It'll energize us around the thought that there are people around us every day who are somewhere on the way in their journey from knowing nothing about Jesus to putting their faith in him and saying, I believe that you are who you say you are. And this is a passage to which we can look to help us celebrate the journey from beginning point and all the way through. And so we arrive here at John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And maybe I should just say this, maybe, you're, maybe you are one of those who are with us this morning who that describes you perfectly. Maybe you are somewhere between having heard about Jesus and, and having given your life to him, having declared your faith in him. Maybe you're somewhere along the way in that journey. And I encourage you to pay attention because I think at a lot of steps of the way, along the way, you're going to identify with this guy in John chapter 9. John writes this. He says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And 
So here's this moment. you got to picture this guy, born blind from birth, always disadvantaged, always totally and completely dependent on others, and probably very used to the idea that when people walked by him and saw his plight and saw his weakness, they asked the question, well, boy, what caused this? How could this happen? Somebody must have done something wrong in order for this struggle and this difficulty to take place. Can I ask, do you have friends like that in your life? The ones who notice that you're in a place of struggle and say, oh, let me figure out how it is that you caused this and brought this upon yourself. You know, let me, let me, let me take your suffering and just supersize it by finding the ways that I can blame you. And then I'll heap on a nice kind of side helping of guilt along the way just so we can know exactly why this happened to you. See, that's what so many people saw when they walked past this blind man. And even Jesus' disciples saw an opportunity to talk through a theological issue. Where, what is the cause of this suffering? And there's something in us that causes us to want to do that, but Jesus does something different. Jesus actually sees past the brokenness and the need and speaks to this person's value and purpose. When Jesus saw this man, he didn't just see brokenness and emptiness and blindness. He was able to see past that and say, here is someone who has value. Here is someone in whom the purposes of God are waiting to be unleashed. Now, this week, um, actually it was last weekend, but my lawnmower broke. I'm hopeful it hasn't died, but for now I know that it's broke. And I had to take it in, and the small engine guy is working on it. And I'm certain that when I go back and talk to him about what's wrong with my lawnmower, and I ask, you know, who sinned that this happened to my lawnmower? You know, I'm not going to take offense when he says, well, what happened here was that somebody didn't change the spark plugs in five years. It wouldn't kill you to sharpen the blade every now and again. You know, and, there, and change the oil wouldn't kill you either. See, I, and I won't be offended because, you know what, my lawnmower is dead or dying, and it is my fault. And I have no problem with that. But if you look at my kids who have maybe had an injury in sports or having a diff- difficult time and are struggling, and you walk up and ask me about my kids, hey, they're having a hard time. Who sinned, them or you? My first response is going to be, well, it's probably me, not them. The odds are better than it's my sin than that it's theirs. That's the first thing. But you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to probably have to stifle the urge to punch you in the face for just assuming <laughs> that it's, it's some sin along the way that is causing this suffering. Because I'm keenly aware with my kids that there more, there's more there than just a problem. That they're people. That there's something deeper going on. And one of the things God wants to do for us is to open our eyes when we see suffering, when we see difficulty, when we see various kinds of blindness and pain around us, To not just get so caught up in, well, what went wrong and whose fault is this? And maybe learn to ask the question that Jesus was asking, right? How is God going to reveal his plans in the midst of this? I think, um, think, and I know that all of us, before we come to Christ, we're, we're just deeply bound up in our own personal version of blindness and darkness. And like this guy, we're stuck there. And then there comes a time, maybe for the first time, that we realize that God sees maybe more in us than our brokenness. That maybe maybe God sees in me even something more than I see in myself. Maybe for the first time we hear that not only is God love, but that very specifically he loves me and has a plan for me. And if you've never heard that message clearly before, I want to declare that message as clearly as I know how today. Jesus cares about you. He sees past the brokenness. He sees past the hurt and the details of your situation, whatever they are. 
And he sees the very purposes of God waiting to be unleashed in you and wanting to come alive in you. And that was, that was the first interaction that this blind man had on his way to hell, was this encounter of a Jesus who saw more in him than his pain. And that prepared him for the next step along the pathway. See, the first thing we do is we, we, we hear a hopeful word that maybe God cares about me, but then things move forward. The text says that after this, he, again, Jesus, spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, the word means sent. And so the man went, and he washed, and he came home seeing. See, the, the next step on our friend's journey was very basic. It was very fundamental. Having received a direction from Jesus, he just did what Jesus said. The man obeyed a simple instruction that was given to him by Jesus. See, there's one thing at the beginning of the journey, just to hear the message that Jesus cares about you and has something more in store and he wants to bring healing. And then there's going to come a time somewhere along the journey where it's time to do more than just listen to the teaching and to learn about what it is that Jesus taught. There's going to come a time to say, rather than just learning about the teaching, I'm going to attempt to put that into practice. I'm going to try to do the things that Jesus said I ought to do. I'm going to try and be, be the person that Jesus has called me to be, to experiment with living life according to God's pattern rather than just my own. And, and these can be some difficult challenges. It might mean reaching out and forgiving somebody that you've held a grudge against for a long time. It might, it might mean learning and exploring with being generous and very giving when you might feel uh, a little less generous and maybe a little more greedy for yourself. It might, mean, it might mean reaching out and loving someone who you find difficult to love. Kids, if you're in here, it, it might mean learning to obey your parents. Even when they're a little bit whacked and they certainly don't know what they're talking about, you're, you're still called to obey them. Especially on Father's Day, but not only on Father's Day. The John 9 guy decided that this was the day to obey Jesus, and it changed everything. He says, go, wash in the pool, and he does that, and it changed everything. Obviously it changed. He wasn't blind anymore. But as John tells the story, the change was much more dramatic than that. I mean, that when the guy came back and he was seeing, they were arguing he had changed so much, not just in his vision, but in his countenance, in the very way he carried himself, that they weren't really sure that this was the same guy. And they were arguing back and forth, saying maybe he only looks like the, blind, like the guy who's blind. And as a side note, I would say this, that if, if you're at that place in your journey where you're just beginning to experiment with walking in obedience to some instructions of Jesus... As you, as you begin doing that and taking those steps, it's going to make a difference. People are going to notice. There's going to say, they're going to say there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that's changing. They're going to like that difference. And then this guy's friends, they ask him about what's the change and what's the difference. And, and he simply tells them his story. He tells them about how I was there and Jesus, uh, uh, he said this and he spit and he sent me on the way. And, and now I can see. And this story gets kind of some momentum. It's going viral a little bit. And the Pharisees in the temple, they hear about this. And, um, well, and they just can't help themselves. They're the religion police, and they have to dive in. They catch wind of the story. And their job, as far as they're concerned, is to make sure that nothing undermines their own teaching or their own authority. So they dive right in. And here's how it went down. It says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. 
And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes, it was a Sabbath. And therefore these Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And then at this point you have to picture the Pharisees taking up a broad stance and folding their arms and making a decree. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. So they turned again to the blind man and said, what do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And this part of the story I love, it kind of makes me laugh a bit. This is, you, you could subtitle this Adventures in Missing the Point. I mean, a miracle has happened, right? This is a guy that they know has been blind, and now he sees. And instead of rejoicing, instead of celebrating, instead of like putting together a worship night and, and having a, a party of celebration, they're bickering about a legal technicality about whether the activity of spitting in the mud and wiping it on some, in someone's eyes constitutes work according to the law, because if it was work, then it wasn't allowed. What is it about our human nature that draws us to that? What is it about wanting to be so firmly in charge of things and so tightly enforcing the rules that we can become blind to the incredible stuff that God does right in front of us, and yet we're going to nitpick it down to the finest detail and see if it lives up to our particular expectations? And additionally, beyond just kind of poo-pooing the miracle and trying to make sure it lived up to their narrow definition of the law, they moved immediately and to clarify what precisely former blind guy is saying about all of the spiritual implications of his healing. And I mean, they're going to him saying, well, what do you think? And what's your conclusion? And who do you think about who this Jesus guy is? And here's what I love. Our friend, used to be blind guy, has literally never seen Jesus. He heard his voice, had stuff on his eyes, went and washed, and then he could see. He's never seen Jesus. In fact, all he knows about Jesus is a grand total of the seven words that he's heard. Right? Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That's all he's heard from Jesus. That and a guttural sound when he hopped some loogies in the dirt and made the mud. That's all he knows about Jesus. And now the religious leaders are asking him to come to some conclusions and draw his line in the sand and say, what do you think about this guy? Who is this guy? Do you think he's legitimate? Will you follow him? What precisely do you believe? And I just want to say, one of the things inevitably that happens, if it hasn't happened already, get ready for it. As you take a journey from first hearing about Jesus to learning to walk in obedience to some of the things that he teaches, inevitably you will have your own encounter with the religion police who don't really care how early it is in your journey. They will want to know with certainty where your journey is going, and where it's going to end up. They're going to want, in a moment that's premature, to push you into a commitment and a statement of belief that uh, you have not adequately looked into, that you're not maybe emotionally or spiritually or personally prepared for. And I just want to apologize in advance for the encounter you will have with the religion police. And at this point, maybe one of the things I need to talk to is some of us Christians who, without intending to, have become the religious police in that regard. And I know where it starts. It starts with a very noble intention to have those people in my life come to faith in Christ. 
And for those of you who are actively involved in solid relationships in your family and with friends in your neighborhood and at work and in sports leagues and in wherever they are, and you're actively involved in sharing God's love with them and being an example of God's love to them and praying for them and asking God to lead them into a place of faith that has become so important to you, I want to say, good, keep going, keep inviting them to church, keep inviting them to talk with you about faith. Absolutely keep doing that. But we can be so eager to see our friends and our family members come to Christ that sometimes we get in the way. We, we can get in the way by bringing them to decision points that aren't really appropriate for where they are on the journey. See, maybe like our friend here in John, they're just making their way, just trying to follow a few simple instructions. They're just getting started to see how things go, to figure it out, to figure out what all of this means. And, and in the best of cases, sometimes that gets a little traction and we see things moving forward and we get enthusiastic because we see them growing spiritually towards faith in Christ and we just want to capitalize that and make sure that it happens and get the decision in the books right now. And we ask them to just chuck it all aside and dive into the deep end without respecting the very nature of the journey that they're on. See, when the time comes and when the time is right, we really do need to be able to talk very directly with people and the people that we love and care about, about what decisions they have made about their faith, about what they do think about Jesus Christ, about what are the commitments of their life moving forward. When the time comes, we absolutely need to be ready and prepared and prepared to commit to talk about those things. But equally, we need to be spirit-led in discerning whether now is that time, whether this moment is the time to have that conversation. In fact, look at where our guy was with his understanding of Jesus at this point in the story. It says that they turned again to the blind man and asked, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. That's his answer. And let's be clear, as a, as a theological answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? He is a prophet, is incorrect. It's inadequate, it's insufficient, it's incomplete, right? An adequate, complete answer is Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. That's the correct answer. That's, That's the point of belief and understanding and commitment that we would want all of our friends who don't know God to come to that point. Well, this guy in John 9, used to be blind guy, he's not there yet. All he's experienced are those seven words the mud on his eyes, and, and then his sight. And he comes to the conclusion that he's a prophet. And you know what we don't hear in this story that I'm really glad about? You don't hear the theology police jumping up and saying, that's not correct. You don't hear the disciples jumping in and saying, whoa, 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 just a prophet? Come on now. Come on, you can do better than that. Let's talk. Get out your textbook. We're going to do a little study, and we're going to come to a better conclusion than that. Than that. No. There's not the judgment, there's not the denouncement, there's not the rebuttal. Why? Because this young man is on a journey. And while he's not yet where we would love for that journey to end, he is on the way and we can embrace the the progress. His answer reflects his immediate location on that journey, not his destination, and we can learn from that. But the Pharisees aren't satisfied. And so they call in his parents and they question his parents. And they, they can't get an answer that is acceptable to them out of the sun, so they call mom and dad in. And things are starting to get heated because this is a big theological debate. And the parents catch wind of what's happening here. 
they have, through no fault of their own, found themselves in a very political situation. Because anyone who actually comes down and and announces and commits that they think Jesus is the Messiah at this point is going to get thrown out of the temple. And getting thrown out of the temple doesn't sound as, like as much of a big deal to you and me. If we get thrown out of a church here, there is another church down the street. We can go there and get thrown out of that one and move on to the next or whatever. But in Jerusalem, there's not a lot of temples sitting around. There's one faith and there's one temple. There's one community of believers and it's the whole place. And if you get thrown out, you are done. You are an outsider forever and you have no participation. Getting thrown out of the temple had serious consequences. Socially, spiritually, financially, and in every way. And the parents see this coming, man. They're asking us questions about who this Jesus is. And if we say that we think he's the Messiah, then, uh, then we're going to get thrown out. But he healed our son. And our son that we've walked through through all these stages of his life sees now. And we can't deny that either. And so they're kind of stuck. And I'll just say on this Father's Day, this dad forfeits his opportunity to be father of the year in a miserable way, right? Father of the year comes in and stands up and says, you've got to be kidding me. This is my son. Anybody who would do this for my son is someone that I will follow to the ends of the earth. So throw me out of the temple if you have to, but I side with the person who sides with my son, right? That's father of the year. This guy doesn't go there. This guy does not earn his paper tie. This guy says, uh, I'm a little uncomfortable answering the question. Why don't you ask my son? You're going to kick anyone out of the temple, kick him out, because I kind of like it here. Isn't that a horrible response? It's terrible. He's unable to muster up the courage to give a real answer, and he pawns it off on his son that way. And so they draw the son back in for another round of interrogation. You get that kind of sense that they don't like his answer yet, and they're going to keep asking him questions until they get the answer that they want. So a second time it says that they summoned the man who had been blind, and they said, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. And in one of the most honest answers you'll ever hear, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. I was blind, and now I see. That's what I know, and that's what I'm going with. And so for those who are here today who might be on a journey somewhere from first hearing about Christ towards maybe coming to believe in him at some point, one of the things I would ask you at any stage along the way is to answer for yourself the question, what do you know? When you set aside everything that that everyone else maybe is telling you you ought to believe and telling you how things work and everything, what do you you know from your experience, from those times of having first heard that declaration that God loves you, to those points where you said, I'm going to try obeying Jesus and see how that follows out, at those experimental steps of just starting to trust him a little bit, as you've done that, what have you encountered along the way? Have you encountered God's love and his grace and his mercy and his strength and all of those things? I would encourage all of us along the way on our journey always to dial in on, what, what do I know? I may not have all the answers. I may not be able to write it down in terms that are theologically correct. But what do I know? I know that when I'm with Jesus, great things happen. I know that I trusted him with this and he came through. I know that I was blind and now I see. It worked out pretty well for this young man as well. So after some more bickering, they get upset with that and they throw him out of the temple. They pretty much excommunicate him 
and let him know that he's no longer welcome there, no longer welcome in Jerusalem, no longer part of the community, that he's just out there on his own. And this is the part I love. It's while he's out there, and it's while he's alone that Jesus seeks him out. He comes and he finds him. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, which means he was looking for him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of the Man is kind of a loaded title. I mean, it's, it's kind of code for the Messiah. Do you, do you believe in the coming Messiah, the, the Son of God? And who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I mean, the impact of being kicked out and left alone and isolated, and then Jesus comes to him and finds him and says, I'm, I'm making a claim for myself. I, I'm telling you that I'm the man who saw past your blindness. I'm the man who healed you and gave you your sight. And now I'm also going to tell you something else about myself. I'm not just a man who's sensitive to your plight. I'm not just a man with healing powers. I'm the Son of God. Do you believe? And for this man, this was his moment. This was the time when he had come along a journey from knowing nothing about Jesus to encountering Jesus, to obeying Jesus, to believing in Jesus. And this was his moment. And the appropriate expression in his moment was to say, I believe, and to worship. And I think I would say that, you know, without wanting to push and without wanting to be the religion police and force things too quickly, if today is your moment, then the response is simply to say, I believe, and to worship him. And there are probably... And hopefully, in and amongst us, not just this weekend, but every weekend, people at just all stages of the journey towards faith. And some of us this morning, I believe, have made steps along the way. We've grown. We've experimented with following Jesus. We've, we've stuck a toe in the water to see how things work out. And, and over time, whether we've known it or not, we've come right up to this point where today we're ready without being pressured, without being forced, that today we're ready to say, you know what? When it comes right down to it, and when it's put in front of me that clearly as a question, do you believe? I'm ready to say yes. And I'm ready to worship Jesus. And I'm ready to follow. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One of them is this. In in a moment, we're going to close this message with a word of prayer. I'm just going to ask you to kind of Pray along with me in your heart as I, as I put those feelings and thoughts into words, and this will be your day, and you'll allow my voice to give expression to the cry that's in your heart of, yes, I do believe. I'm going to ask you to do that. And then I'd ask you to do something else. And this is a very important step for those who are coming to that point and saying, yes, I believe. All throughout the Scripture, we hear this. Believe and be baptized. Receive Christ and be baptized. Baptism is the public declaration. It's the public moment where we say in front of God and everybody, I believe and I worship. And we've got a baptism coming up. Middle of July. It's in your bulletin. I believe it's the 18th. But there are people, I believe, who are here today who are going to say yes 
and declare their belief. And if that's you, um, you can either put it down on the bulletin or you can sign up out at the information counter at the lobby or you can go home and hop on the website uh, from your computer at home and and, uh, from our website sign up to be baptized as well. But that would be the appropriate next step. Or maybe you've come to that point of decision uh, earlier on, but you've never taken that next step of being baptized. That's, the time is right for you as well, and I'd encourage you to do that. But uh, I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes, to bow our heads in a moment of prayer. And Lord, we want to take this moment very, very seriously. God, we want to say thank you each one of us, for the way that you have taken us on the various steps that comprise our spiritual journey. You've, you've taken us from places of knowing nothing to places of knowing more. God, you've helped us begin that process of obeying your teaching and instruction. But many of us along the way have been led to, to a place where we acknowledge we, we do believe that you are the Son of God, and we do believe that you hold uh, eternity in your hands for us. And so we've declared our belief, and we have worshipped and continue to do that. But Lord, this morning, there there are, I am sure, among us here today, there are those who are just ready to make that their point of decision whose spiritual journey to this point has brought them to a place where they're ready to say, I believe, and I will give the rest of my life to worshiping Jesus Christ and to following his plan. God, it's along with each person in that circumstance that I offer this prayer. Heavenly Father, I embrace the plan that you have for my life. I come to this place where I believe that although I am a sinner, you love me and that you offer forgiveness for my sin because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. God, maybe I'm not even sure at exactly which point I crossed the line over into belief, but in this moment I just want to say the words in my heart. Lord, I believe and I worship you. So God, would you forgive me from my sin? And God, would you do what your word promises that that you'll allow your Holy Spirit to take up residence within me so that the love and the life of God becomes the driving force of my life moving forward? Jesus, would you walk with me through this life? Would you lead and guide and direct my steps? God, would you help me to become the kind of follower of Jesus that continues to grow spiritually every day? Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for making us clean. Thank you for giving us new life. In Jesus' name, amen.